This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles here in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 2, if you would. We don't have any Bibles, bulletins, or pens to pass out this morning, but we do have some uh, really cool things for you. Uh, if you use your phone uh, as an app, uh, an app on your phone for your Bible, feel free to do that. If you don't have your own copy of the Bible, see me today. I'll make sure that everybody gets their own copy of the Bible. Uh, if you need one of those, we'll be happy to get one for you. I'm really excited because today, for the first time ever, we have fill-in notes for you via the Hui Kala app. We got a little video here to kind of show you what to do. If you have the Hui Kala app, go to the bo- button at the bottom where it says uh, podcast, click on the Better Together, click on the sermon for today, and there's a button that says fill-in notes. It'll actually open up your web browser, and you can actually type your notes in there. And when you get to the bottom, you can actually email them to yourself. I thought it was cool. If you don't think it's cool, that's fine. I thought it was cool. Uh, but there's also an option if you want to download PDF notes to your device, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, but we don't have any pass out notes. But I highly recommend that you take notes. I really do. And so if you uh, want to do that, uh, feel free to do that. If you don't yet have the Hui Call app, just another reason to get it. Uh, you can uh, download that from the, uh, the App Store. Acts chapter 2 is where we find ourselves today. We're in t- continuing our series entitled Better Together. If you missed last week's message, we took a look at how the church's family miss that, you can listen to it online or via our app, podcast, whatever you do, uh, get caught up that way. We've got a quick mini-series probably in the next five or six weeks or so where we're taking a look at the importance of the local church. Then we're going to go into our study of the book of Philippians verse by verse. So if you're one of those who likes to study ahead, be reading the book of Philippians over the next several weeks. Uh, and we'll go into that verse by verse uh, in just a few weeks from now. We're taking a look at the importance of the local church because uh, during this time where we did not meet together in the same physical location, the church never closed its doors. We couldn't necessarily meet together in person, but the church never stopped because the church is not a place, the church is a people. And we'll be taking a look at that uh, throughout this series uh, here this morning. uh, The title of today's message, The Church Keeper of the Gospel. Acts chapter 2, just to give you a little bit of context, we're going to start in verse number 41 in here in just a second, but just want to kind of lay the foundation for you what's happening here. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus Christ come, he lives on this earth, he performs miracles, uh, he preaches uh, about himself and preaches repentance. He's crucified for the sins of mankind. He raises again himself bodily the third day, gets up out of the grave, walks out on his own power, spends about 40 days or so on the earth, and then ascends into heaven. Uh, we find ourselves at the book, in the book of Acts, chapter number one, at the ascension part. Jesus is just getting ready to leave And he gives some really important instructions before he goes. Acts chapter 1, he tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Then we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost comes. It was a Jewish feast where people came really from all over the world to Jerusalem for this one feast. And Peter stands up and preaches a spirit-filled message. He preaches the gospel. He tells people, Jesus died for your sins, but you crucified him. You put him to death, and his blood is on your hands, and your sin is on your own hands. And people say, well, then what should we do? And he says, repent and be saved. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. Uh, Sometimes uh, pastors refer to this as the invitation, where they preached uh, a message, and then they invite people to respond to that message. This would be Peter's invitation, I guess you could say. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. 
Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people heard the gospel, 3,000 people were saved, 3,000 people were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily in one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We took a look at last week that the word church does not denote a physical location. It does not uh, speak of a building that people come to. The church is made up of people. You and I are the church. When we talk about, hey, it's a Sunday morning, let's go to church, we sometimes think of driving to a building and go, coming in and finding a seat and singing songs and uh, listening to a message and then going home. That's not going to church. We are the church. This morning you have come to a building where the church meets. You and I are the church, and we gather together. But the church doesn't stop when we're dismissed at the end of today. The church actually begins uh, to carry out the work that God's given us to do, to, to begin actually being the church in our community. The word church is found in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. The word ekklesia means a called out assembly. And so what that means is we were part of another group and we were called out of that group, taken out, and then placed together in another group. In the case of the world, we were, I'm sorry, in the case of the church, we were taken out of the world placed into the church by Jesus Christ himself. As we take a look at the church, the church began when Jesus called his apostles. Jesus saw men fishing, Peter, James, John, Andrew. And they said, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says they straightway left their nets and followed him. So we see really the beginning of the church when Jesus called his apostles. So he took them out of a life of the world. He took them away from their vocation, fishing, and took them out and placed them into another group we call the church. And so the church began when Jesus called his apostles. We took a look at last week how the book of Ephesians chapter number two says that the church is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the apostles and the prophets. And so you and I are building on a foundation of the apostles and prophets. So this right here, when Jesus calls his apostles, is the laying of the foundation of the church. So the church started with the apostles. Now, the church at that time, though, when Jesus called his apostles, he had 12 followers, one of which would end up betraying him, one of which was not actually even a Christian or a true believer, Judas. And so these 11 men that followed Jesus... We're not the church the way that you and I would think of today. They were just the foundation. You couldn't join that church. You couldn't become an apostle just because you wanted to. You could follow Jesus for a while, but you couldn't be a part of that family because it was closed off. And so that was the, just the beginning. But then when we find ourselves in the book of Acts, now we begin to see the church become what you and I know of it to be today. So the church began when Jesus called his apostles, but the church was empowered on the day of Pentecost. 
this feast, the Feast of Pentecost, where, uh, again, people would come from all over the world to, for this feast day, this is when everything changed. Get your Bibles handy in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. These believers had gathered there together. Verse number 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind and filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, just to explain what's taking place here, this was the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus had made to the apostles and to the believers. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, you got your Bible handy there, turn back probably one page in your Bible to Acts chapter one, verse number eight. Jesus made them a promise. Acts chapter one, verse number eight, he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So wait right here, you're gonna get power when the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna give you power and you shall be witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm giving you this. We refer to this as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found here in Acts chapter one, verse number eight. It's also found in Matthew chapter 28. It's found in the book of Mark, Luke, and John. Five times Jesus repeats this job that he's given to the church. We refer to it as the Great Commission. But Jesus says, you can't do it unless you have my power. So he tells them in Acts chapter one, verse number eight, wait here in Jerusalem because the power is gonna come upon you and when it does, I want you to be witnesses. And so they wait, beginning of Acts chapter number two, the Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says, as a mighty rushing wind in that house. Now, this was a unique experience uh, that's never taken place before or since where the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind and came as cloven tongues of fire. Tongues of fire sat upon these peoples above their heads. And it says that they spoke in other tongues or other languages. Now, again, understanding what's taking place here is absolutely critical because we need to have a proper interpretation of Scripture. What's taking place here is this. People from every nation under the sun were here on this day. Uh, if you look in uh, verse number five, Acts chapter two, verse number five, and they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So people from all over the world had gathered to Jerusalem that day, and these men received the Holy Spirit and had power to preach the gospel in everyone's language so that everyone understood. It would be synonymous to say, for example, uh, today we had some Chinese believers with us or Chinese folks who didn't know Jesus Christ with us. And I received power of the Holy Spirit to be able to preach the gospel in Chinese, not knowing any Chinese whatsoever. As Chinese as I've ever gotten is Panda Express fortune cookies, okay? Uh, I know no Chinese whatsoever. But imagine the Holy Spirit comes upon me and I just began to preach absolute word-perfect Chinese interpretation of the gospel, and people hear and they believe. That's the Holy Spirit power there. What was taking place here was not a ecstatic utterance or a babbling of incoherent syllables or repeating the same syllables over and over. That's not what it's talking about. They're speaking in other known languages. And every person heard the gospel in their language, and 3,000 people believed 
were baptized and were added to the church. It was, it was a supernatural experience. The only explanation for these tongues of fire from heaven, the rushing wind, the people being able to preach the gospel in language that they do not know, the only explanation is this was a supernatural act by God himself. And it was a big deal. Now, sometimes people say things like, oh, man, we sure need another day of Pentecost. It's never gonna happen again. It was a one-time event that took place like that. Uh, you know, people, I've heard people pray for cloven tongues of fire again. Never gonna happen. It happened one time to validate the message that God had to, to set the stage for what the church would be from here on out. And the church was empowered that day. The Holy Spirit came upon these new believers now. And the, the church was empowered. Now the church was no longer a group of 12 followers of Jesus. Now the church was a worldwide, multi-ethnic, multinational family that God created from one thing and one thing only, and that was the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. So now the church has a job to do. Now the church, it's like nothing it's ever been before at Pentecost, 3,000 people saved, baptized. Can you imagine what that would be like? I don't know how they had it set up or how many people they had baptizing that day, but can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people? That'd be impressive. Can't imagine how dirty the water would be after 3,000 people got baptized, but I'm just saying. 3,000 people saved, baptized, and added to the church, and it didn't stop there. Now the church continued and pushed on and now there was nothing anyone could ever do for the rest of world history to stop the church. The church is unstoppable. You can't shut it down. The devils tried to stop it. The kingdom of Rome tried to burn Christians at the stake to stop the church, couldn't stop it. The Catholic church through the dark ages and the crusades tried to stop the church and put Christians to death. They could not stop it. The church continues and will continue until Jesus comes because Jesus says, this is my church and I'm building it upon myself and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a big deal. It's unstoppable. It's like nothing you and I can ever possibly imagine. And before Jesus left, he gave the church a job to do. He says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the church has been entrusted with the gospel. This is our job, this is our mission, this is our responsibility. God has given us the gospel. Now it's important to understand what the gospel is. It's the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. If you were to read through uh, chapter number two, you'd see that he says, hey, you've sinned against God. You put Jesus Christ to death, who was God's son. He came to die for your sins, but, but you would not accept him and you put him to death. And they said, what should we do? He says, you need to repent and be saved and be baptized. And so it's important for us that we understand that we've been given the gospel. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward means a manager. When it's talking about the mysteries of God. It's not talking about these locked away secrets. It's talking about the fact that how does one become right with God? Why did Jesus have to die? What happens to me when I die? All these questions are answered by the gospel, and now you and I are the managers of that secret of life. Everyone wants to know what is the meaning of life. We know what it is. It's Jesus Christ. People want to know what happens after this life. I can tell you, you'll stand before God in judgment. What tells us that? The gospel tells us that. 
So if the church has been given the gospel, and it's our job to manage the gospel, and to steward it well, and to invest it in the right places, and to proclaim it and share it, we first of all need to make sure that everybody understands what is the gospel. You could break it down in, in multiple ways. One way is to break it down into four major parts that begins with God. Just know this, everything begins and ends with God. Everything. The Bible, first verse, in the beginning, God. The last verse in the Bible, even so come quickly, Lord. From beginning to end, the Bible's all about God. It's all about Jesus. And the story from cover to cover is all about what he's done for us. And so everything starts with God. Know this, God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. God is without sin. God is perfect in every way. Whatever decision God makes, it's always right. However God handles the situation might not be fair, but it's always just because that's who God is. He's always righteous. He's always just. He's always perfect. When we talk about the attributes of God, we talk about the all-powerfulness of God or his omnipotence. We talk about his omniscience and the fact that he's all-knowing of, of all things. We talk about the fact that he is uh, all-powerful, omnipotent. He's all places at all times. He's omnipresent. He never changes. He is immutable. These are all the attributes of God. This is who he is. And if you look at God in the light of who we are, we find that man fails, falls far short of the glory of God. So God is perfect, righteous, and holy, but man, on the other hand, is sinful to the core. Deep down inside of us resides sinfulness and wickedness. While we might like to say about every person, well, deep down inside every person is a good person who just we need to get to that person and pull them out. The Bible says that the deeper that we go into our heart, the worse that it gets. That our heart is sinful, it's wicked, that we're not good people, that, that we only put on a good facade sometimes. But inside of us, the Bible said, dwells sin. And so our sin has separated us from God. Because God is righteous and perfect, we can't come to God as we are in our sin. Because just like the opposite ends of a magnet, our sinfulness repels God. And the closer that we get to God, he's like, I can't be close to you because you're sinful. But God doesn't want to push us away. God loves us. And so God, because he's just, cannot accept us the way that we are because we're sinful. Because God is holy, he cannot be spotted by our sinful condition. And so there's a great chasm, a great valley between us and God, but we can't come to him because of our sinful condition. And that doesn't stop here. When you die, you'll stand before God one day and give an account of your life. I'll stand before God and I'll have to accept what's coming my way. The Bible says it's appointed unto me and once to die and after that, the judgment. And the Bible says it would be judged according to our works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And when you stand before God one day, let me tell you, you'll have a lot to answer for. I'll have a lot to answer for. The Bible says the result of our sin before God is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, lest you think that that just means that we die one day, the Bible speaks of a second death. So you die once on this earth, and then after that, you're gonna go to a place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. The Bible says this is the second death. Who's gonna go there? The Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 21, all the fearful and all the unbelieving, all liars, whoremongers, adulterers, 
fornicators will have their part in the lake of fire, the Bible says. All sinners go to hell. That's bad news. So God is righteous, man is sinful, and because of our sin, we have earned our spot in hell. But God, because of his love, sent Jesus. Third part of the gospel, really important. We sometimes say that the gospel is good news. It's only good news when you get to who Jesus is because the Bible says God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins so that I don't have to die. It's the idea of this, we sometimes refer to it as the substitutionary atonement of Christ. I was supposed to die, Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished for my sin, Jesus was punished on my behalf. I was supposed to endure God's wrath, Jesus took God's wrath upon himself. And he died in my place. And so Jesus died for the sins of mankind. But the most important part of the gospel is there must be a response on your part. God, man, Jesus, response. Jesus says, I'm willing to pay for your sin if you're willing to accept my payment. I'm willing to forgive your sin if you're willing to repent. So God needs this from you in response. Faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that I cannot make it to heaven on my own, and I need a Savior. And repentance. Turning from my sin and turning to Jesus. I realize that I've messed up, and I don't want to continue on the road that I'm on. I'm asking for forgiveness, and I want to change. God needs faith and repentance from you as your response. If you choose to respond with faith and repentance, God adopts you into his family. God forgives all of your sin as if it never happened. The Bible says he takes your sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. The Bible says that up in heaven there's a book called the book of life. He opens up the book of life and writes your name in the book of life. And the Bible says no man can blot your name out of that book. And that when you go to heaven one day and you stand before God, he's going to open up that book and he's going to see your name in that book and he's going to say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. You've been forgiven. And I won't stand before God in judgment for all of my sin. I'll stand before him in joy as a son, welcomed home to be with my father. Your other response is this. I'll take care of it on my own. I think I'm good. If God is so loving, I'll work it out with him when I get there. Then your response is to reject the grace of God. And the Bible is very clear in John chapter 3. Jesus says this, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to be saved to go to heaven. You have to be saved to go to heaven. But John goes on at the end of John chapter 3, and here's what he says. He who hath the Son, Jesus, hath life. Eternal life, no more death. I live forever with God in heaven because I'm forgiven and saved. He who hath the Son hath life, but he who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Not only do you not have eternal life, but God's punishment is coming for you. And here's the thing, that is 100% your choice that you get to make. I choose life. I choose Jesus. I choose to be saved from my sin. 
But everyone must make that decision for themselves. This is the gospel. God is loving, but he's also holy. Man is sinful and wicked and has rebelled against God. Jesus died to pay the price for our sin, but you must accept him as your savior or die forever. That's the gospel. The gospel gospel could be summed up as Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of mankind. It's another way we could sum up the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. If you've ever gotten one of our invitation cards that we have on the back, there's five verses on there and five statements. The first statement is God loves you. That's John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Next, all of us have sinned against God. It's the second part. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Third, your sin has earned you a place in hell for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter six, verse number 23. But God loves you and sent Jesus to die in your place. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then fifth, you must make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, if a man believeth in his heart and confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus, he shall be saved. Friend, do you know for sure that you're saved? Are you 100% sure when you die, heaven is your home? If not, do that today. If you're not saved, just know this, you're going through this life alone, but you will spend eternity alone, separated from God. The gospel is the most important thing that we have. The church has been given the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. This is what sets us apart from every other organization in the world. The mission of the church is the Great Commission, the gospel. This is our job. Tell people how they can know Jesus, how they can be a part of his family, how their lives can be changed by following what God says. That is our job. Other churches have adopted other missions. And please understand this. When you take the gospel out of the church, you no longer have a church. This is critical. When you take the gospel out of a church, you no longer have a church because the only thing that the church has is the gospel. The only message that we have is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's it. And you might say, well, you know, well, this church over here, their, their job is, uh, their mission that they have is their church is uh, racial equality. That's a worthy mission. It's just not a church's mission. You know why? Because there's other organizations that do that. Oh, this church, they're not about the gospel, but they do a lot of good for the community. Yeah, so does the American Red Cross. Well, this church does a lot to help people that are going through a rough spot. So does the Salvation Army. What sets us apart from every other 501c3 nonprofit organization? The answer is this, the gospel. It's everything to us. And if you don't have it, you're just not a church. That's not my estimation. That's not me being judgy or saying who is and isn't a church. That's God's word saying that we are stewards of the mystery of God. That's it. And if we don't have the gospel, folks, we've got nothing. So what do we do with the gospel? First of all, we preach the gospel. If you've ever been to Hui Kala more than once, you'll know this. Every single Sunday morning of the world, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to tell you that Jesus died for sinners and tell you how you can be saved. 
It's the number one message from the beginning, again, to the end of the Bible. The beginning of the Bible is this, Genesis, the creation account. Then we get to Genesis chapter three, and man rebels against God. Satan tempts Eve, she falls for it, Adam falls for it, and sin has come into the world, and God says, now you're gonna have to die. And now we begin to see the gospel message unfold. Rebellion against God creates death. They need a savior. And God tells the the devil that one of these days, I'm gonna bruise your head, but the woman's seed will, you'll bruise his heel. And just right there in Genesis chapter three is a prophecy that Jesus Christ would come and conquer Satan and it would cost him his life to do so. But you see the gospel there in Genesis chapter three. You read through the end of the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about God creates a new heaven and a new earth and all those that are with him are those that have been saved and redeemed throughout all the world, throughout all of life, throughout all of world history, create a new heaven and a new earth with God and will forever be together with the Lord. Amen. What's the story there? God redeems his people to himself through the death of his son. So really the story of the Bible is the gospel. And again, when you remove the gospel from the church, it has no power. You remove the gospel from the Bible, you've just got a a book full of self-help platitudes. That's all you got. The gospel's everything to us. And so we preach the gospel every week. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I think everybody here already heard the gospel. Here's the thing. If you're a first-time guest here at Who We Call, thanks for being here today. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Come back every week. I'm gonna tell you about how you can know Jesus better every single week of the world. But imagine somebody came into our church never being, having gone to church before. And we're talking about, let's just say, I don't know, prayer. And so I talk about prayer and how you need to pray more. And we find power in prayer. And you can come to God because God wants to hear your prayers. And God's a loving father to you. And he's going to answer your prayers as he sees fit. And somebody leaves, first time in church, thinking to themselves, I think I just need to pray more. I'll give that a shot never knowing that they don't have access to call God their father because they're an enemy of God. Never knowing that they don't have access to pray to God because he doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked and unrepentant. Never knowing that there is an impending doom and death and wrath and judgment coming for them at the end of their life. They just think, hey, I think I should pray more. And that one interaction that they had with a church, they didn't get the gospel. It's a terrible thing. So every time you invite somebody to who you call, just know this, they're gonna hear the gospel. Now, if we have a good Friday service, we're gonna talk about the, cro- the cross and what that means for us is the gospel. Easter Sunday morning, we're gonna talk about the resurrection of Christ and how that purchased our freedom. Hey, they, we, they come on Christmas Eve, you know what we're gonna talk about? God became a man to dwell among us for one purpose and one purpose only, to die for our sins. Hey, we have Father's Day coming up in a couple weeks. You know what we're gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about how we have access to a heavenly father. You know why? Because we're all adopted kids. How do we get adopted? Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's everything to us. You could say we're a one-hit wonder. (laughs) The only message we got, the gospel. But here's the thing. It's the only message that we need. Well, pastor, aren't you gonna preach a message on everything that's going on in our world today? I'm not. I am deeply, deeply grieved by what I see taking place in our nation. I'm deeply grieved by insensitivity, hurt, anger, anarchy, lawlessness, disrespect, 
unkindness, deeply grieved. But you know what the answer for that is? All that you've done wrong can be forgiven and you get a fresh start with Jesus. Love God with every fiber of your being. Love your neighbor the way that you love yourself and everything will be okay. That's what God says. I refuse to get into a political argument. I refuse to, to make tweets or to, uh, to do social media stuff that might be misconstrued in some way or another. I'm just gonna quote the Bible. That I was once a sinner in great need of salvation and God saved a sinner like me. I am not perfect but through Jesus' help, I can become more like Jesus. That I make mistakes every single day, but I find grace at the foot of the cross of my Savior who forgives my sin. I know that when I do wrong, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's what I know. You're not gonna back me in the corner trying to get me to, to say whose lives matter or anything. like. I'm not going there. I'm just gonna talk about the Bible. You're not gonna get me to talk about politics. You're not gonna get me to change my profile photo to, to, to be something that you want it to be. I'm just gonna tell you what the Bible says because if you got a problem with the Bible, the problem is not with me, it's with who wrote it. So the Bible, the gospel fixes everything. Now again, this does not mean that we don't wanna be sensitive to people's needs and people's hurts and people's challenges and things that people go through. I wanna hear that, I wanna process that. But I refuse to believe that this world is gonna be changed by a political group. I refuse to believe that this is gonna be changed by voting the right person into office. I have to believe that the only lasting change comes from the Holy Spirit working inside of hearts of those who believe in God. That's it, it's the only hope that we have. That's why we preach the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 22, verse number, First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse number 22. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, friend of the Jews, a stumbling block, and of the Greeks, foolishness. You know, the Jews, they said, hey, Jesus, show us a sign and we'll believe. When people would follow after Jesus, they'd say, hey, show us one of those cool tricks that you do. I don't really care whether it's water and wine or this blind guy that needs to see or you want to feed everybody, that'd be awesome too. Show us a sign and we'll believe. And Jesus says, no. Here's what he said, a wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. Here's your sign. I am who I said that I was. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you a sign. If you don't believe this, you're not going to believe. And it's interesting today, people who profess to be Christians are still looking after signs. Oh, you have the Holy Spirit? Show me. Speak in tongues. Oh, you have the Holy Spirit? Heal this guy over here that, that's, that's sick. Oh, you have the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you spoke a word of prophecy over somebody that came true? Prove it. Show me a sign. Jesus says, we don't need signs. He says, the Jews want signs and they won't get it. Here's what he says the Greeks want. The Greeks want wisdom. They want to sit and talk in deep philosophy. They want to talk about all these, these confusing uh, concepts that they have and talk about how we're all the same, but we're all different. And they want to walk away from a conversation being really confused, thinking like, wow, that was so totally deep. And he says, they can have that. The Greeks want wisdom. The Jews want a sign for us. I'm just gonna preach Jesus Christ and the fact that he was crucified for men's sins. I think if Paul was in the midst of America and the, the state that we're in today, I think Paul would say, hey, they wanna try to get me back me into a corner on politics. I'm not having that conversation. 
they want to get me to take up their cause. I'm not going to take up that cause. I'm taking up the cause of Christ. They're going to ask me who's more important than somebody else. I'm going to say that God loves everybody and that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, this person included. I'm going to say that at times I have been insensitive. At times I have said things that probably would be deemed inappropriate. I was talking with some guys the other day. I, I grew up in Kentucky. My uh, middle school that I went to was the South Marshall Middle School Rebels. And our, uh, our mascot was Yosemite Sam dressed up as a Confederate Civil War. And we, are, we had the Confederate flag in our gym. It was, we were the Rebels, you know? To this day, I still think in Kentucky, there's rednecks that drive around town with a Confederate flag in the back of their pickup truck. And for me, that didn't mean, you know, I hate black people. I wish slavery would have won or anything. They just meant we were the rebels, man. I mean, just south, you know? Sweet tea and Cracker Barrel and Waffle House. That's all it meant, you know? But way different now. Now it's considered a symbol of hate. And here's the thing. I apologize if what I did was insensitive. I, I apologize. I had a rebel flag in my room when I was a kid. If that made somebody's feelings hurt, I'm sorry for that. I'm not saying we can't be sensitive to other people's hurt or hear people's stories or find out where they're coming from. I'm just saying at the end of the day, politics isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. What's going to bring peace to our nation? God brings peace. The only hope that we have is him. So that's why we preach the gospel. Next, we share the gospel. At Who We Call, we make a big deal of giving you the tools and resources you need to share your faith with other people. Because the gospel is not just a message people will get by osmosis. We have to, to share with people their need for Jesus. People have to be told there's only one way to heaven and its name is Jesus. Well, that's kind of harsh. The truth is harsh sometimes. It was popular when I was uh, probably in high school, this idea of what's referred to as lifestyle evangelism, that if you live your life in a certain way, people will notice that you're different and they'll ask you what's different and then you get the opportunity to talk, to, talk about Jesus. I think everybody's lifestyle should reflect Christ and so I'm not gonna put that down. But here's the thing, at some point there has to be what we refer to as confrontational evangelism. I don't mean confrontational like we're going to start a fight, like you need to be confronted with your sinful condition. Did you know that when you die, you're going to go to hell because of your sin? That's a harsh statement. That's confrontational. But how can I ever tell you how good Jesus is until you realize how bad you are? How can I ever show you the gift that you've been given of the opportunity for heaven and eternal life, how good that is unless you realize how bad hell is and how much you really deserve it? We have to confront people with the truth and so we share the gospel with people. Why? Because we're commanded to. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Go, win, baptize, teach. That's what Jesus says. And let me just tell you this. You might say, I don't really like sharing my faith. It makes me feel weird. It makes me feel awkward. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. I've sat on my hands while other people carried the weight. I've been there. I'm not putting you down if that's where you're at. I'm just telling you this. Your only alternative to fulfilling the Great Commission is disobedience and rebellion. That's it. And let me just say this. I'm going to take one step further. There is a real hell where people will spend eternity. Some of you might be here today on your way to hell. And I want to tell you this. This is why I'm having this conversation with you because I love you. I care about you. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. 
But know this, there's a real hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. And the majority of people in this world are headed there today. The Bible says, wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And if you don't take sharing your faith seriously, or you're just like, eh, whatever, I don't really care about sharing my faith. Either you don't believe that hell is real, or you just don't care. Those are really the only two options. Are you scared? Of course you're scared. I'm scared. I don't think I've ever shared my faith with someone that I wasn't nervous. I've sat across the table from guys before going like, there's this awkward silence, pause, and I know I should say something, but I don't, I'm, I'm just not ready to, I'm just terrified. And then I just go, all right, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna do it. One, two, three. What do you think happens when we die? Man, terrified. Well, what if they think that I'm weird? You're weird, I'll tell you that. And here's the thing, everybody knows that too. Just get past yourself. What if people reject you? They will, guaranteed. Jesus himself did not bat a thousand when it came to sharing truth. Read John chapter six, verse number 66. Many of them went thousands and followed him no more. And Jesus turned to his apostles and said, will you go away also? You're not gonna bat a thousand. Hey, look, if you batted 250, I'd be happy for you. The fact of the matter is, is not, we're not trying to get our average up. We're not trying to get notches in the back of our Bible. We're trying to get the truth out there. And what people do, the truth totally up to them. But we have to share the gospel. Next, we live the gospel. We live the gospel. It's everything to us. How do we live the gospel? We know, first of all, that we are forgiven. I was nine years old. I could take you to the place where I knelt down beside my bed and me and my dad prayed and I asked my my dad to lead me through the process and I prayed to my heavenly father and I asked him to forgive me my sins and save me. I was nine. When I was a nine-year-old boy and I got saved, I didn't box the gospel up and put it on the top shelf of my closet. I'm done with that. Don't ever need that again. No, no, no. I need the gospel every single day. You know why? Because when I fail God, and I will, I need to come back to the same place I found forgiveness, Jesus, and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And just like that day when I was wiped clean, I'm wiped clean again every single day. So I have to live that out every day, repentance before God. But secondly, when people do me wrong, when people hurt me, I also need to extend that same forgiveness that I need to forgive others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. And so when people do me wrong, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna choose to give grace. I'm not gonna give them what they deserve. I'm not gonna teach them a lesson. I'm going to give grace. You know why? Because that's what God gave me. God gave me a lot of grace. And so I wanna be careful to give that same grace as well. That's how we live the gospel. But we see that the gospel is the power of the church. This is not just the message that we have. This is where we get our power from. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit for what purpose? Acts chapter one, verse number eight says, to be witnesses. So I have power from God now to, to share my faith with other people. I have this message that is the power that propels our church forward. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. That's the church, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is 
the keeper of the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the gospel, God's word. It's our job to keep it, to defend it. We're the pillar of that. We're the foundation of God's word. There's a lot of places out there where you can go to find help. A lot of places where you can go to get therapy, counseling. There's one place where you can come to hear the gospel, and it's the church. Again, people want to fix the problems in our society today. Everybody's got a theory. There's one place where you can come to find God's plan. That's the church. There's a lot of places you can fix what's broken in your life. There's one place that is the keeper of the gospel. That is the church. And again, if the church doesn't preach the gospel, nobody is. Nobody. So it's the power for us. What kind of power does it have? First of all, the gospel saves sinners. If you're a child of God, you were saved by the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you said, I believe that. I repent of my sin, and I'm asking God to save me, and you were saved by the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed by that. That's the power that we have. Of salvation. Hey, if you got no gospel, you got no salvation. And the gospel saves sinners. You know, the gospel also does, it sanctifies the saved. The word sanctified means to be set apart. It's kind of that like that word like called out. We take something that was in the world, we take it out, and we set it somewhere else. That's the church, the called out assembly. The Christian is taken out of the world and placed into the church to live different, distinct. Our lives should be different than the world. Our church should be different than the world. I shouldn't live the way that I used to live. I shouldn't live like everybody else does. I had the opportunity to uh, attend an advancement ceremony with some men in our church for one of the men in our church this past week. Guy in our church who's getting advanced asked to, to share a word. He said, first of all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you right now, that gives glory to God if it comes from a heart of purity. But I've heard people say things like that before and then follow it up with foul talk, using the Lord's name in vain and, and four-letter F words. That statement by itself doesn't hold a lot of water. But again, again to quote Scripture, he asked the men of our church to, to come up and uh, gave us a command coin that he had as a token of his appreciation. Talked about the men who had taken him through the process of discipleship, what it meant to be a follower of Christ. So I want to thank my pastor for being here. Man, that's huge, huge. This guy wasn't ashamed of being a Christian. And at the end, I love this. He said, I've got a word for you guys too. I want you to know this. Waiting time is only wasted time if you waste it. I thought, I heard that before. Oh wait, I think I said that. That's good. I wanted to, I wanted to get like pull out a hanky and wave it and say amen, but I didn't. Uh, but uh, that's good. But here's what this guy, God changed his life, and he wants everybody to know that he's not embarrassed by it. He's not ashamed by it, and it's so critical to him. He wants to share it with other people. Set apart, different, sanctified. And let me just tell you this: if you're the person who doesn't curse at work, you're automatically different than everybody else. Just know that. You're out with a group of guys and you hit a golf ball like I do. You hit it really, really far and then right at the end it goes <laughs> off into the woods somewhere. That's what I do every single time without fail. I just like to whack stuff hard. I got no skill. 
I got no talent. I just like to hit hard stuff. And you go, oh, stink. Good grief. What? What kind of talk is that? Automatically different. Automatically different. Fellas, you call your wife on the phone at work, and you're talking to your wife on the phone, and you say, all right, sweetheart, I'll see you in a little bit. I love you. You need me to pick up anything on the way home? You're automatically in a different category of everybody else by respecting your wife and not calling her the ball and chain or I'll be home when I say I'm home or all that other garbage. You're automatically different and distinct. So when I say be different as a Christian, I'm not saying everybody has to wear the same clothes. You don't have to wear skirts down to your ankles and ladies don't need to wear makeup and wear, let your hair long and never cut it and stuff like that. Hey, look, if the bar needs painting, paint it. Seriously. Uh, so um, do everybody a favor. Uh, and so uh, I'm just making sure you're still awake this morning, all right? I'm saying that being a Christian doesn't mean that you have to be weird. It just means I'm different than the way that the world runs things. The church should be different and distinct. Our job as a church is not entertainment. If you're looking for a place to come on Sunday morning and be entertained, you got the wrong place. My wife showed me a, a video online. It was funny at first. Of this, this pastor who had created his entire platform into the set from the, the uh, um, late show with, uh, what's his name? Somebody help me. You know what I'm talking about. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. That's what it was. Jimmy Fallon, yeah. So the late show with Jimmy Fallon, his entire set on the platform looked exactly like that. It had the desk and had the backdrop and had the chair set up and stuff like that. And he, had, and he preached his message from the chair. And he would stop and tell jokes. He had people sitting in the chair, and they would, they would interrupt him sometimes and tell jokes, and everybody would laugh and stuff like that. And I thought, that's so funny. And then I thought to myself, wait, this is their church service? Yeah. Okay, that's not funny. That's embarrassing. You had nothing better than to copy what somebody else is doing that's successful for them? Imagine somebody put together a talk show late at night and copied everything down to the songs that they had. You say, that guy's just a poor ripoff of what Jimmy Fallon's doing. We'd be embarrassed by that. But the church is now going to be exactly like the world. And here's the thing. You're not Jimmy Fallon. You're a terrible knockoff of him. You know what Paul said? You want a show? Go somewhere else. We preach Christ and him crucified. The church is different. We don't sing the same songs as everybody else sings. We don't have the same message that everybody else has. We have a message that some would deem controversial or inappropriate. We're going to continue to preach the Bible anyways because we're different, we're distinct, and we're called to be that way. You know why? Because our message is different. Our message is the gospel, and it saves sinners, it sanctifies the saved, and it glorifies God. It glorifies God. Every time a sinner puts their faith in Jesus, God gets glory. Every time a sinner says, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I realize I cannot make it to heaven on my own. I'm asking God, God, would you please forgive me and save me from my sin? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for my sins. God, I need you to save me. God gets glory from that. I was... Uh, upset for a number of reasons with the uh, coronavirus pandemic, one of which was the Lakers, for the first time in probably 11 years, were going to make the playoffs. This was huge for us. Uh, Lakers in the playoffs hasn't happened in a long, long time. My wife was really excited about it because in the King House, we don't pay for cable, like ever. 
We don't steal cable either, so let me just say that. Okay. But we don't, we don't pay for cable. Not going to do it. We can download stuff off the internet. We can watch Netflix or whatever. We don't pay for cable unless the Lakers are in the playoffs. If the Lakers are in the playoffs, we get cable at the beginning of the playoffs, and then we cut it off when the finals over. We'll keep it on even if the Lakers get knocked out. Once the finals, NBA finals are over, we cut the cable off. And so there's a brief window of about, the, I don't know, two months or so where we have cable in the King household, but only if the Lakers are in the playoffs. And my wife, who never pays attention to stuff like this, is like watching the box scores. Like, I think the Lakers are going to make the playoffs this year, aren't they? She was really excited about that. And the whole NBA season got canceled. The whole thing. Now they say that they're going to have all the, somebody play all the games in, in Florida or Las Vegas, whatever. I don't care at this point. I'm over it. But when the NBA season got canceled, I mean, I was bummed for a couple of days. Like, man, we were going to make it. You know, I can't stand LeBron James, but I'll take it if he gets us another championship or at least the playoffs. And I was bummed out by that. You know what happened in heaven the day that they canceled the NBA season? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know what happened when, you know, the Cubs finally won the World Series in heaven? You know what happened that day? Crickets chirping up there. But, man, let me tell you, when a sinner puts their faith in Jesus Christ, you know what happens in heaven? Confetti cannons over there, everywhere, angels singing. The Bible says that there's great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. You know why? Because the gospel glorifies God. The sacrifice that Jesus made was worth it, and one sinner came to, to faith today. Party in heaven. God opens up that book of life, writes down somebody's name, it's just like, uh, got another one, coming home. And you know what he's saying? All right, church, let's go. Get another one. Let's get it. Why? Because we're the keepers of the gospel. And one of the ways we glorify God is by bringing people to him. Next, the church is a place where people are saved and baptized. People can be saved anywhere. You don't have to come to church to be saved. I guarantee you when you come to church, you're going to hear the gospel. If you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus, bring him to who we call it. Guarantee you they're going to hear the gospel. Guaranteed. I'm always encouraged when I talk to people and I say, hey, how did you, how'd you hear about our church? And they say, oh, I had a coworker invite me. I had a friend invite me. Somebody, I had a neighbor, brought some cookies over and had an invite on there. I love that. You know why? Because that means somebody from our church cared enough to bring somebody else to a place where they can hear the gospel. Huge, huge. But this is a place where people are saved, where people get baptized. You take a look at again, our text, Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. They that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added unto them, about 3,000 souls. People can be saved anywhere, but one of the ordinances that God has given to the local church is baptism. Look, you get, get saved. I've, I've led people to Christ uh, in the front door of their house, on the front porch. I've led people to Christ on camping trips. I'll let people to Christ out front of a 7-Eleven. I mean, like, people get saved anywhere. You don't have to come to church to get saved. But baptism is a unique gift that was given to the local church. Because baptism unites you with a family, with a body of believers, with a church. Salvation unites you to God and being a part of his family and adopted into his family. But baptism unites you together with a body of believers and a body of doctrine. So these 3,000 people that believe, they said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for my sins. I accept him as my Savior today. And they came in and got baptized as a picture of the commitment they made to God. Now, baptism cannot save anyone. 
When my wife and I got married, she gave me a ring. Not this ring, but uh, this ring is a symbol of the ring that she gave me. And the ring that I wear is a symbol of a commitment that she and I made to each other. Now, if I take my ring off, we're still married. But by wearing it, I let everybody know I'm committed to this woman for the rest of my life until death do we part. It's a commitment we made. When people are baptized, they're saying, I made a commitment to Jesus, and I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. Baptism in a biblical church, a biblical baptism, says to everyone who would watch, this person's accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And so baptism is one of the ordinances that is given to the local church. Baptism always takes place after salvation by immersion. There's a way that it has to be done. Always after salvation by immersion. We never find anyone in the Bible being baptized before they're saved, ever. We never see any instance in the Bible whatsoever where children or babies are baptized, ever. People always are able to profess faith in Christ, then they're baptized. So sometimes people will get saved here at Who We Call, and they'll say, oh, I got, I got baptized when I was a teenager. But you just got saved, right. So you need to be baptized scripturally after salvation by immersion, always. And so you may say, well, then you're rebaptizing. No, they never were baptized the first time. They just got wet. Oh, I was baptized as a baby. First of all, you didn't consent to that. Second of all, you weren't saved. Third of all, the only thing you did was get wet. It. And the, the word baptism literally means to plunge or to dunk or to immerse. The, word, the Greek word baptizo literally means to plunge or hold under. And so the idea of baptism has to take place by immersion, completely and totally under the water. We don't, uh, we don't sprinkle. We don't uh, put sponges on people's heads. We don't take a cup of water and pour it on somebody's head. I saw uh, during the coronavirus, there's a, a baby being baptized in an unbiblical church and they were holding the baby up like this, and no lie, the priest had a, a water gun, and he was shooting the kid on the forehead with a water gun. I thought to myself, what do you really think this is doing here? Other than making the kid really mad, right? And like, what? who would use a water gun? Like, you need like one of those backpack, like super soaker cannons or something, right? Come on. If you're going to do it, do it right. If you're going to be unbiblical, go all the way, right? But uh, Biblical baptism always after salvation, always by immersion. That's, that's the biblical mode that we see in Scripture for baptism. Acts chapter uh, 8, verse number 13, then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. Simon got saved, then he got baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41, 41, they that believed on his name were baptized, and then they were added to the local church. So we see a progression here. Salvation, then comes baptism. So maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, I don't know if I've ever actually been biblically baptized. Great. Baptism Sunday, June 28th. We'll have a service over here. We'll head over to Alamo Beach Park about noon. We'll baptize over there. That's one of the gifts that's given to the local church. And so everyone needs to be baptized, again, because Jesus said, teach people the Bible, win them to Christ, and baptize them. Jesus commands us to be baptized. And so if you've never been scripturally baptized, do that. Acts chapter 8, verse number 36 Philip finds the Ethiopian eunuch out in the middle of the desert. He's sitting in the chair and he's reading through the book of Isaiah. Philip runs up to him and he goes, hey man, what are you reading? He's like, I'm reading the book of Isaiah. Philip says, do you understand? He goes, I don't know how I can understand it unless somebody explained it to me. And the Bible says that Philip preached Jesus to him. So Philip began to preach the gospel. Then the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, hey, here's some water. What would keep me from getting baptized today? And Philip says, hold up. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins. 
And Philip said, I believe. He says, okay, let's get baptized. So you see, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to get baptized, but Philip wasn't going to baptize him unless he knew he was saved first. We always see a progression in Scripture. So maybe you're sitting here saying, I don't know that I've been baptized since I've been saved. Great. Here's your opportunity. June 28th, we'll head over to Alamo Beach Park. We'll baptize over there. It's also important to understand when we talk about baptism, baptism is an ordinance, not a sacrament. Those words mean two different things. The word ordinance means an authorized decree or something that has been ordained. Jesus himself ordained baptism. The term sacrament means a way in which one attains grace. And this is critical that we understand that baptism Jesus commanded as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. Again, this is why we baptize by immersion because it's scriptural. Because baptism pictures the death, burial, completely and totally under the water, and then the resurrection of Christ. If I take a cup of water and pour it over your head, the only thing that that symbolizes is that I poured a cup of water over your head. When you get baptized, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A sacrament, on the other hand, is a way that someone attains grace. And I'm going to say this, and it might sound harsh, but it is 100% biblical, and I stand by it with every fiber of my being. Any church that teaches that baptism saves you is a false church. So that's pretty heavy. The gospel's heavy. Any church that teaches there's another way to heaven other than Jesus is a false church, period. If there are churches that believe that, uh, that you have to get baptized in this church to be saved or to go to heaven, false church, 100% of the time. That could be a litmus test for you if you wanted to. But you have churches like the Catholic Church, he says, you must be baptized in a Catholic church to go to heaven because it's a sacrament the way that they receive grace. And some people might say, well, that's really hard to say about Catholics. Any true Catholic would tell you and I that we're going to hell because we've not been baptized in the Catholic church. I have a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. If you don't believe me, I'll show it to you. Their own book they wrote. Anybody who hasn't been baptized in the Catholic church is going to hell. The Mormon church says, anybody who has not been baptized in the Mormon church is going to hell. And the Mormon church, I think one of the reasons why we would label them as a cult is because they take their spiritual abuse one step further because they say that hell was prepared for all those that are unbelieving and all those who have left the church. You want to keep somebody locked into a cycle? One of the ways to do it is tell them, if you ever leave, you're going to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that God adopts us into his family and God never kicks people out of his family. That's the gospel. So again, baptism is just a picture of a decision I made. Again, if I take my wedding ring off, it doesn't mean my wife and I aren't married anymore. It just means I decided to change jewelry. If you decide not to be baptized, it just means that you're disobeying God's command. It doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven or you're not saved, you're not part of the family. So baptism is an ordinance, not a sacrament. The Catholic Church, again, has seven sacraments, uh, baptism, communion, confession, um, you know, marriage, last rites, things like this. These are all ways that they get grace, always they get to go to heaven. No, no, no. The only way that you receive grace is by faith and repentance. That's it. And baptism is an ordinance entrusted to the local church. It's a gift given to us by God himself to be carried out in the local church. Let's thank you to be able to baptize Maggie Hen last Sunday. Uh, Maggie is the uh, oldest child of the Hen family, uh, Joey and Ashley, today's their last Sunday with us. They're being sent out to Germany uh, after today. So be sure to stop by and say hey to the hens. But uh, the thing I love about them is they said, Pastor, this is when we weren't even having services in person. 
He said, Pastor, can we uh, baptize Maggie before we leave? And I said, yeah. I said, it would have to be a little different in the fact that you'll have to invite whoever wants to come to go and, and we'll have to go there and get it done and, and move on our way and stuff like that. They said, we just wanted to be baptized with her church family. Uh, I mean, she could get baptized at a, another church in Germany where we don't really know anybody, but it would mean a lot to us if she got baptized with family. I love that. You know why? Because it, first of all, showed the importance of baptism. Second of all, it showed the, the family aspect of the local church. I know those people are our brothers and sisters. We don't really know them. We'd love to get baptized with family. And so we did that. Why didn't the hens baptize their own kid in somebody's backyard in their pool or something? Because baptism is entrusted to the local church. Why don't people get baptized in their own bathtub? Because baptism is a gift given to the local church. Because salvation unites you with a family, the family of God. Baptism unites you with the body of Christ, a church, a local body of doctrine. I'll leave this to finally today. The church is a place where people can join the family. Hey, you're not part of the family yet? I'm inviting you to join us. What we call is an easy church family to break into. All you got to do is keep showing up, be nice to people, smile. We ask our church members to commit to our five core values, love, pray, give, serve, invest, to really live out and embody those core values, to be useful to the cause of Christ here, to make this their church home. But the local church is a place where we find family. We took a look at last week, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19, says that we're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're now fellow citizens together with the saints, a part of the house of God. No longer is the house of God a place, but it's a people that we are. What creates that family? The gospel. It's everything to us. It's such a big deal to us, for us here at Who We Call. We uh, have some weekend training sessions that we do called Sharing Jesus, where twice a year we'll teach people how to share their faith with people. If you've gone through discipleship, one of the, the parts of discipleship is to learn how to share your faith with someone else. It's huge. Everybody needs to know how to do it because it's the power for the church. A few final thoughts here this morning. First of all, what do we do with the gospel? First of all, you gotta believe the gospel. You know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he has died for my sins. I have repented of my sins and I know for sure that heaven is my home. That's step one. And it's not enough to just believe it in your head. Yeah, 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 I believe that Jesus died for sin. Yeah, I believe he's the only way to have it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. No, no, no. You have to come to the point where it affects your heart. I'm committing my life to Jesus and I'm changing. I'm turning from my ways. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm gonna follow after Jesus now. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect for the rest of your life. It just means that you make a commitment to follow after Jesus and not follow after your own heart any longer. You need to believe the gospel. For those of us that have believed the gospel, we need to share the gospel. For those of us that have accepted Christ as Savior, you can rest assured that when you die, you're going to be in heaven. When you die and stand before God, he's going to open up the book of life, he's going to find your name, and he's going to welcome you in to his kingdom. What a day that's going to be. Man, I'm fired up about it. Here's the problem. Many people that I know, many people that you know, will not see God one day in joy, they'll see God one day in judgment. And they'll stand before God and God's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. I did some really good stuff. Huh. I don't know you. I went to church one time. I don't know you. Hey, hey, look, I was a Christian, everybody else thought, but I mean, I didn't really believe it, but everybody thought, oh, no, no. get, depart. No, 
I, I did a lot of good stuff for the church. I gave money to the church. I attended a small group. I, 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 was, I was faithful. Then depart. I never knew you. Because the gospel is the only way that we're saved. And if there are people that we know that do not know God, do not know the gospel, they stand in danger of God's judgment. And we've got to do everything we can to get the gospel to them. Now, mind you, there are people that I share the gospel with that do not want to hear it from me anymore. I burned my bridge a long time ago. I'm praying that somebody else will come along and will be able to pick up where I left off at and continue to share truth. I pray that God will put real Christians in their life that live authentic Christian lives that draw them to the gospel again. But I gotta, I gotta be faithful in sharing it. Next, I wanna live the gospel. I wanna be known as a gracious person. I want to give grace to people when they make mistakes or when they do things to hurt me or when they've done me wrong. I want to extend a level of grace to them. You know why? Because grace was given to me. I have a good friend who uh, shared with me a few weeks ago. He said, you know, I might get to heaven one day and find out that I was too gracious. He said, but I think I could probably live with that. And I thought about that for a second. I thought, that makes a lot of sense. Be willing to be a little bit too gracious as opposed to being too judgmental too harsh, too angry, too critical. I want to live the gospel. When people do me wrong, I want to give grace. But also, when I've done wrong, I want to run back to that place where I can find forgiveness. I want to run back to that place where I can find hope, where I can find grace. Next, I want to challenge you with this. Take your commitment up to the next level. Wherever you're at right now in your walk with Christ, would you take it one notch up? I don't know what that means for you. For some of you, you might need to be baptized. For some of you, you might need to be saved. For some of you, you might need to go through discipleship. We've got discipleship coming up at the end of this month. For some of you, maybe you need to join this church and church membership and put your roots down and begin to get to work here with the church family and be really committed to this. For some of you, maybe you need to be faithful in your tithes and offerings and your first fruit giving. Some of you, maybe it's a, you need to get better at sharing your faith so that you can share it with people. Or maybe you need to grab some painted and full books that you can pass out to a coworker this week. I don't know what it is, but... You know that we've all got room to grow. I've got room to grow. Take it up a step. Our theme verse, I believe, is 2015. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul didn't say, hey, just maintain. He said, no, no, maintain, and then take it a step up. Keep pushing forward until the day we see Jesus face to face. Final thought, bring other people to the family. I'd like to know one day that when I get to heaven that there are people there because I help bring them along. Again, I don't want a feather in my cap when I get to heaven, but I'd like to know that my life mattered for something. I'd like to know that I had the opportunity to impact somebody. This life is short. I want to make it count. I want to make it matter. My job as a pastor, my personal mission for you as your pastor is to prepare you to stand before God one day with joy to help you for the day that you stand before God, to look at God and say, oh, I wasn't perfect, but I did my best. Not to get to heaven by the skin of your teeth and hang your head that you're embarrassed that you wasted your life. I would hate that for you. Not to stand before God one day and you open up the book of life and your name's not there because you're a fake Christian your whole life and you never really were saved. I would hate that for you. My job as your pastor is to help you stand before God one day and do it with joy and to bring as many people along with you as you can. Bring them to the family. 
If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, I want to invite you today, put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's not a matter of joining our church. It's not a matter of becoming a Baptist. You don't have to get baptized or anything like that. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that I deserve to go to hell and I'm asking God to forgive me and save me today. If you would do that, God would save you in a split second. You'd be adopted into God's family. You'd be given the Holy Spirit and everything would change. It starts with faith and the gospel. For those of us that are Christians, we gotta ask ourselves, are we sharing the gospel or are we living the gospel? If not, let's get to work this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.